Good morning. Welcome to the program. Tuesday, December 20. Nice to have your company on what uh, in southeast Queensland is a magnificent day. Not a cloud in the sky and reasonable temperatures as well as we head towards Christmas Day. Five days away, December 20. Can you believe it? Tomorrow's gravy day, which is a highlight. We get to play Paul Kelly tomorrow, so we'll do that. How to make gravy, one of my favourites, heading to Christmas. And I don't know, we're not really Christmassy enough at the moment. So we might play a couple of uh, more Christmas songs. We've only played once in the two weeks. We've been, well, well, not two weeks, seven days, six days, really, that we've been on air. One song, The Boss, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. So might play a couple more today just to get in that Christmas spirit. It's that time of year. Uh, for those unlucky enough, still be driving to work this morning. We'll try and lighten the mood a little bit for you with some Christmas songs and also, some of the best of Patton Heels throughout the year. Um, and we've got a couple of guests coming on the program. Warren Moon, the Brisbane Raw coach, will be joining us in the studio. Uh, we'll chat with him about the Raw's uh, break and uh, the win over the Jets and uh, a busy Christmas period, as often is, for the Brisbane Raw. And also, Greg Davis, one of Brisbane's leading sports journalists who may, uh, covers a lot of the basketball, particularly the Brisbane Bullets. We'll get his thoughts on where the Bullets are at, what is going wrong with the Bullets, and is there a fix in the offing? And this um, suggested feud or drama, whichever word uh, way you want to put it, uh, between their two best players, Aaron Baines and Nathan Sobey. So we'll speak with Greg a little bit later in the program. Some of our best of today's, um, really looking forward to Matthew Hayden. Um, when he was with Pakistan during the World Cup, uh, he caught up with his good mate, Heels. And we'll also hear from uh, Stephen Bradbury, uh, the Olympic champion, uh, the Winter Olympics with the Commonwealth Games on this year and so much happening in 2021, we, uh, 2022, sorry. We seem to forget that we also had uh, a Winter Olympics this year as well. So we'll uh, hear from Stephen Bradbury in the best of this year. But uh, the Australian cricket team is enjoying a couple of extra days in Brisbane. Well, not extra days, days in Brisbane without any uh, cricket because the test finished in two days. They remain here until Thursday, but then they head down uh, to Melbourne uh, for the test match, uh, which starts on Boxing Day, the second test. They've got an optional training session tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see how many players turn up to the optional uh, session. Uh, and then the questions will start to be asked, or they're already being asked, whether or not uh, Josh Hazelwood would be back for that Boxing Day test and whether Scott Boland, if he is back, whether Scott Boland can hang on to his spot. The form of David Warner, his 100th test match in um, Melbourne, it will be sort of overshadowed a little bit by his recent form. We spoke about that form heading into the test match here in Brisbane. A duck, first ball duck and three, certainly didn't quieten um, the rumblings about his form, but it must be said the pitch wasn't uh, a batsman's pitch. And so you've got a feel for a bloke who's searching for form, searching for runs, uh, and he has to open the batting uh, on a wicket like that. Well, George Bailey, who is the chairman of Australian Selectors, uh, front of the media yesterday uh, to have a chat about a number of things, including David Warner's form. I don't know how much to read into to this to this wicket and I personally think there's runs around the corner for him um, I still think he's moving well I still think he's catching well I think no doubt as uh, and David would be the first to say this he'd like a few more runs and to be contributing a bit more um, knowing the importance of that role at the top of the order um, but I, I you know full confidence that'll come yeah, I mean, fair call in, in the things that George was saying there. David Warner's position's fine for Melbourne and Sydney. There's not, he's not going to be dropped. 
uh, India in February. Well, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, he'll go on that tour, no doubt, unless he decides that he doesn't want to. And he wants to play in the Ashes. He wants to play in that uh, World Test Championship match as well. But he's got to start scoring runs, you would think. You just can't pick a bloke because he looks good um, and catches well. Um, he'd be the first player in the history of Test cricket to be selected based on his catching, um, other than a wicketkeeper. But uh, he's got to start scoring runs. That's the bottom line. Maybe in his 100th Test, Boxing Day at the MCG, it may well be the, the catalyst, the um, the momentum for Warner to get back to the player that we know he is. Um, now, George Bailey also spoke that, you know, when time comes, who would replace David Warner? He's taken the game on, moved the game forward. Um, the record he has, that I think that's a challenge that every team faces when you remove um, someone who, in, in many respects, you know, has, has changed, changed the way the game's played a little bit. Um, so I don't think we'll be looking to replace David Warner. But, yeah, I, I think we've got some, some strong candidates um, waiting in the wings to, to bat at the top of the order for Australia. Well, Marcus Harris is in the squad, so he, you'd suggest, would be at the top of that list. Matt Renshaw played against the West Indies in the uh, Prime Minister's eleven. Uh, there's Henry Hunt from South Australia, also played in that match and is, is highly thought of and is scoring some runs. And there was a suge- suggestion in the papers this morning that uh, Travis Head, uh, who normally bats higher for South Australia and did open the batting uh, at various stages in his career, could be an opening batsman. Uh, it would be similar to David Warner, wouldn't he? Both being left-handed, both being very aggressive. But uh, when a player is scoring the runs that he's scoring, like Travis Head is at the moment, why would you even contemplate on moving him? This is still down the track. You know, David Warner's going to be there for the next couple of tests. Um, but, yeah, they seem to be the players in consideration at the moment uh, to be the heir apparent for David Warner. We don't know when. That could be 18 months away. It could be two years away. It all depends on how Warner plays and how many runs he scored. And at the moment, he's not scoring enough runs, but uh, he's got the runs in the bank, pardon the pun, to be able to continue on his career at least until the end of this South African series. No one wants David Warner to score runs as much as David Warner wants to score runs. And his 100th test would be ideal. And if it can't be there when he returns home uh, to the SCG in the final test of the summer. The other question that has to be answered by the selectors uh, is whether or not Josh Hazelwood will be back for this Boxing Day test. And if he is available, if he is fit and they have to select someone, does he get selected ahead of Scott Boland, who took six for seven last year? Australia against England at the MCG and has been in fine form when given an opportunity to win the absence of Josh Hazelwood over the last couple of test matches. Here's what George Bailey had to say on Scott Boland. Yeah, I think his ability at the moment to take multiple wickets in the same over speaks to how consistent he is and, and the questions he asks of a batter. Clearly we've got a decision to make. Yeah, very much so. And uh, just as we discussed yesterday with, with Heels, uh, I'm of the belief that Josh ha- Josh Hazelwood should not play in Melbourne, uh, get himself, even if he's 100% fit now, just say, mate, stay stay in Sydney for Christmas. We've got Scott Boland here. He'll do the job at the MCG like he did last year and we'll consider you for the test in Sydney at the SCG. Uh, that's his home track and that would me to be seem to be the logical thing to do, that Scott Boland plays in Melbourne, unless, of course, there might be a niggle for Mitch Stark or Pat Cummins with his quad, but they didn't seem to be troubled by too much in the test at the Gabba. They certainly didn't bowl over bowl. 
um, and they're getting a week off between test matches. So you would think they'd be fine, but I would suggest that um, I'd be saying, righto, Josh, uh, we want you to have another game off. Stay in Sydney. Don't worry about travelling. Um, work hard up there and we'll see you when we get there for that uh, final test of the summer, uh, the Sydney Test Match. Uh, George Bailey, uh, rather weird comment, um, he made on leaving Boland out. Don't want to make light of the, um, the A-League game there, but I, I thought that right. I was thinking, gee, that could be happening at Boxing Day when the team list goes out and we leave, we leave Scotty out. The box- yeah, I know he didn't mean to, but to drag that up um, so freshly afterwards. But yeah, Scotty Boland... I'm sure the crowd would not react in the same way. No crowd should react in that way ever. But anyway, um, if he does get left out, it will be, to me, a big surprise. You may have a thought. 13 13 55 is the Brighton Homes open line. Or you can text us 0467 736 736. Who is the next in line for the, uh, to open the batting for Australia? And Scott Boland or Josh Hazelwood for the test in Melbourne. I'm saying Boland in Melbourne and bring Hazelwood back for Sydney uh, if they need to rest someone uh, for the final test match. But uh, Scotty Boland has done nothing uh, to warrant being left out. But having said that, you you know, Josh Hazelwood hasn't either, other than that side strain. So uh, there is an argument for him to come straight back in, but she's going to be tough on Scotty Boland, particularly at the MCG. 13, 13, 55, or you can send us text 0467 736 736. Of course, the other story continuing to bubble along is this uh, drama from the weekend at Amy Park between uh, Melbourne Victory and Melbourne FC and their in their derby down there with the pitch invasion. Uh, invasion. Three uh, men have been charged by police out of the 150 that stormed onto the ground, as we heard in the news with Vanessa there. Uh, 18 other people are being actively sought at the moment. Pictures have been released from them. Uh, it remains to be seen what sort of punishment is handed down. They've been charged by police. One man has been charged with violent disorder, discharging a missile, intent to cause injury, recklessly causing injury, unlawful assault, injury to sporting competition space, disrupting a match, public nuisance and riotous behaviour. That's just the charges for one of the men that have been charged. Uh, A 19-year-old has been charged with a separate alleged assault on the goalkeeper, um, Tom Glover, as well as an alleged assault on a security guard. He's also been charged with violent disorder, discharging a missile, three counts of unlawful assault, entry to a competition space, disrupting a match, public nuisance, riotous behaviour, discharge and possessing a flair. He's also been charged with violent disorder, criminal damage, unlawful assault, entry to competition space, disrupting a match and public nuisance and riotous behaviour. That's a 19-year-old being charged from the weekend. Um, So three have been charged uh, and we wait and see what happens when they appear in Melbourne Magistrates Court in February. Now, police have also revealed the alleged details of what occurred in the stadium. 50 flares, 50, around 50, not exactly 50, but around 50 flares were lit in the stands. At least three were thrown onto the field. Two security guards were injured. Approximately $120,000 worth of damage was allegedly caused to the venue. Officers from the public order response team allegedly had bottles thrown at them when responding to the incident. And once again, police have released those uh, images of those that they wish to speak to. Those that have been charged handed themselves in to police. Now, Denny Townsend is the boss of the APL, the CEO. This time last week, he was trying to explain the decision behind uh, 
selling the grand final of the A-League and W-Leagues to Sydney. This week, he's trying to explain why people should return uh, to A-League matches and be able to watch them in safety. Here's what he had to say over the incidents on the weekend. Look, I think, you know, with any type of situation like we had on the weekend, you've got individuals that went there and packed balaclavas and went to a football match to cause trouble. And it's really a disappointing situation that we need to work with authorities to ensure that it never, never happens again. I I still ask the question, how the hell do they get flares into the ground? I mean, you can't even take a bottle of water or a sandwich into most grounds. They get found. But how do people secrete? Do we... Is it come to the stage now they're going to be body scans and stuff like that? If the crowds don't behave, is that what we're left with? I mean, how do people get 50-plus flares or around 50 flares into a ground in this day and age? And I, I believe, I mentioned yesterday about this metal bucket full of sand that was thrown at the goalkeeper. I believe that that's there to help put flares out. So they're, they're preparing like it's, you know, the, the sand bucket, the, the fire bucket you see uh, around in the old movies that uh, the sand bucket is there to to put those flares out. I mean, it just beggars belief that um, someone in this day and age, more than someone, can get flares into a ground and nobody notices. Um, it's just ridiculous. Now, Danny Townsend spoke about the motive behind those involved. This was not a protest. This was this was this was criminality, um, and we've got to make sure that our game isn't used to camouflage criminals into the future. That's exactly what it was. It wasn't a pro. It was just people who took the opportunity uh, to act like mugs and with criminal behaviour. They will appear before the courts. We'll wait and see what the courts punishment is um, with regards to those that have charged if they've been found guilty uh, come February. I was going to read um, a little article from the paper I saw today about the Melbourne Victory fans. They call themselves the original style Melbourne OSM. And it was like reading the script from Monty Python's Life of Brian with the, the people's popular front of Judea and the people's front of Judea. And all. There's the OSM there's also um, other groups involved in the competition. They're all different supporters. Uh, there's the Blue White Brigade or the North Terrace Brigade and all this sort of stuff. Um, they are all got different clans and different groups that follow the one club and they all have different leaders. Anyway, it just beggars belief to me. And Danny Townsend did speak on the real fans of football in this country. Yeah, look, we need to work really cooperatively with, with Victoria Police or all police across the country in our stadiums, our stadium operators, our security teams, to ensure that we are vigilant. Um, we can't allow this to ever happen again in our game. Our, our game is an inclusive game. It's for families. Our active support, this is not a reflection of them at all. Our active support across the country have for years been the lifeblood of our game. Uh, it's, yeah, have got to be vigilant. got to keep those flares out. It can't be that hard to keep flares out of the ground. It's 19 past six.